0: Cue the song. You can keep your Just leave me 1,
1: Hello there, ladies and gents. Welcome to 1,000 Greatest Misses, the power podcast that shines a light on 1,000 undiscovered, obscure, and underappreciated songs that hit all the marks but fail to chart. On today's episode, we'll highlight songs by The Mice, Schoolboys, USA, Baron Cross, and Rich Kids. Find us at 1000 com or your podcast app of choice. I'm Paul Hines along with Christopher Gray, the music-obsessed record store guy with way too many songs stuck in his head. Hey, Chris. Hey, Paul. What's going on, buddy? We had... Some great feedback from our listeners last week. Uh, a man named Jeff Flesher of the band Green, whose song we highlighted on episode one, contacted you, reached out, which was cool. Um, I heard from an audio engineer who had also worked with him. Uh, works at Kiwi Studios in Batavia, where I worked a couple of times. And an old friend uh, knew one of the members of Rathskeller, huh. who we also covered in episode one. So that was kind of cool. Who would have thought one thousand greatest misses on the cutting edge? And it brought to mind just how something as simple as a music podcast can create a little mini community. And you had talked about this in the past, and I know you had a few things you wanted to say about it.
2: Yeah, it's pretty cool that Jeff did contact us. He's actually still doing. Well, you'd mentioned he was recording with one of the engineers that you knew, so he's making new music. So this is a guy whose record came out, you know, forty years ago or whatever. And is still making music today, still relevant, still being creative. Uh, We'll keep you posted as to when that new music is available. But he was really happy that um, got to get a record out, got some new life and some new blood. And along those lines, you know, it kind of goes without saying that we hope you know, that these short stints into our musical past inspire some sort of action on the part of the listener. And we know that, you know, for 98% of these bands, the opportunity to achieve any monetary gain from these songs has passed. And so with that said, you can still support independent record stores by seeking out copies and buying locally. You can support online vendors in the same manner. You can keep an eye out for Reformations playing live. And of course, when available, you can stream the tracks by uh, from a pay provider. And the one more thing that you can do that can have an exponential effort is to share. Share this podcast. Share these songs. Get the word out. Help us out.
1: Help us out. And over time, hopefully, we create a little community of regular listeners who can provide song suggestions, who can give feedback to each other, feedback to us. It can, uh, you know, in this age of communicating remotely, it can be a, a nice contact with other people. Sure. I mean, think about it. You know, you and I had
2: known each other, but we obviously got a lot closer when you started hosting the record nights for the nerds like us to share songs that have flown under everyone else's radar. And that's kind of exactly what we're trying to do here. Uh, It's pretty funny. I had spoken to one of my musical mentors and he had listened to the podcast and he had not heard of any of the songs that we played on episode one. And for me, that's a huge success. I just turned him (laughs) on to five songs that he hadn't heard of. And he had
1: turned me on to so much along the way as well. Okay, let's play some music. This one we're going to kick off is by a band called The Mice. Uh, this track
2: is called My Hometown. This LP is called Who Cut the Cheese, which is almost as bad a title as from our last episode, The Breaks, which was titled Why You Kick A My Donkey in episode six. Uh, Who Cut the Cheese, not a much better title. This is an
1: 1988 indie pressing on Waffle Records. Out of San Francisco, is that correct? California. And I think this is from their second album they put out two, and then that was all she wrote. But from what I read online, they do have one tune on Spotify, and apparently they morphed into a new band called the Mises or the Mices, uh, M E I C E S. Do you know? You know anything about that? I am familiar
2: with the Mises. I did not know that this was the band that then went into that band. Did you? Is this? Has this been fact checked? Is this it verified? It has not been
1: fact checked. It was some. It was like a comment I think on a YouTube video that I found. It could have just been tongue in cheek. Maybe it
2: is correct, and this will kind of dovetail into something I will share later with.
1: Okay. In the meantime, let's listen to "My Hometown" by the Mice. minutes my hometown by the mice yeah
2: so this could be a couple of different so there are a couple of bands called the mice i just checked it out on discogs while that was playing uh this one seems to be a different band than the one that had the record called scooter Uh, i think they're two different i think yeah uh again this has kind of a replacements vibe to it again an indie pressing uh, from 88 i like this tune it's
1: short it's sweet it gets right to the point yeah i heard replacements there too. And the, the song structure is a little interesting. It, it has a great A section, and then the B section is simply a little instrumental groove. They never get to a chorus, per se, or a bridge. It reminded me, in song structure terms, uh, the song Cars by Gary Newman, where there's two verses, and then it follows up with some music and that's it right and the verses are pretty catchy there's definitely some good melody going
2: on there the guitar part is kind of great so it does carry it along and doesn't feel necessarily
1: like it's just one straight part they also have a very cool ending they have this this weird almost mysterious musical lick to finish things off in and in a cool sounding retard uh, it's not anything i would ever come up with it works really well and they've got an they've got another song on youtube called blank day have you heard that i have not it's very good, and it's even more replacement sounding to my ears than this one. Uh, very solid. So that's actually the lead-off track on this record. Right. I was
2: just able to check that out. So yes, I have heard it. Didn't remember it, but I've heard it. A good tune to start off with. What's next? Schoolboys. So to your point, right? So... Everything I thought I knew was completely wrong. I've literally had it in my head that this band was a different band since hearing this song initially, and it they are not. So it was this podcast and a, the tiny little bit of research that goes into putting one of these episodes together that has cleared it all up for me. But this song is called Mr. Mouth by Schoolboys on the Playboy Street Rock compilation record. Uh, this is a Canadian pressing that came out in '81 with 11 songs on it, and I looked for this forever. I had traded a copy of this tape a million years ago. Love this song; thought it was very enough enoughish. Uh, and it turns out that uh, this band, who I thought was the same schoolboys that were from Arizona, who later went on to form the band Icon, uh, the studio or the AOR stalwarts Icon. Uh, it turns out that this was actually a pre-major label signing of the Bricklin Brothers. Uh, the Bricklin Brothers had a band called Bricklin uh, that came out in 86, and that song and that record will be featured on a future episode with a giveaway. I just found a copy of that record, so I'm going to be giving that away in the future. Sweet. And this band is from where? I'm guessing Canada, because this is a Canadian... Yes, Canada.
1: Uh Okay. I couldn't find a darn thing about there's been a lot of bands called the Schoolboys, one even going back to the 1950s, Um, so it was hard to nail this down. Yeah, this is a Canadian pressing out of Ontario
2: on Nightlife Records, so I'm making the assumption that that the bulk of these bands are Canadian. Kick Axe, the band that got signed to a major label deal a couple years later, is on this, as well as some It's a great record, great cover. Uh, Search that one out again. It's
1: Playboy Street Rock. Okay, here is Mr. Mouth by the school boys. Mr. Mouth, such a distinctive infectious melody in both of the A and B sections on this tune.
2: Yeah, as a fan of Cheap Trick and Off-Broadway and Enough's Enough, this is right in my wheelhouse. Uh, This hits all those marks as far as I'm concerned. And could have, again, in 81, could have gotten
1: a lot more recognition had they stuck around. I like the synth counter melody that starts on the second verse. They've got a nice key change. It's cheesy, but it works for me. I'm all about the cheese when it when it's effective. Yeah, the key change is good. The singer's voice uh, grates on me just a tad. It, it reminds me a little bit of Billy Corgan of the Smashing Pumpkins. And I like this tune a lot. This is my favorite of the day. But I wonder if like listening to an entire album of this could uh, could wear thin for me. I guess I may never have to find out because I don't know that they put out an album.
2: It seems to work out okay for Billy Corgan.
1: Yeah, that's true. Yeah, I'm in. I'm in the minority there. It's all my fault, not his. He's doing just fine.
2: Yeah, I looked around for this record for a long time, and I think we've talked about it in the past. The concept of finding a record out in the wild versus buying it online—you can find just about anything online if you're willing to pay the price. But finding this at the record show in Chicagoland uh, that I go to probably maybe once or twice a year, but that I've been going to for the last twenty years to find it in a box marked junk for three bucks was great. I mean, I'll always remember that part of it. Had I bought it, you know, from a guy, you know, in a different state for $15 or $20 or whatever, I don't think I would have the same memory of it.
1: Right. I make purchases online and not always, but sometimes, and in retrospect, I can't remember what I bought where it doesn't mean anything to me versus purchasing it physically in a store. Yeah, I would, I would, I would, Bet that the records you bought in London, you'll always remember that you bought those in London. Right, right. Coming up next is a band called USA with a song called I Love You. And they probably didn't anticipate just what a headache it is to search online for a band called USA with a song called I Love You. The internet, it does crazy things, right? It rakes things that had a personality,
2: a uniqueness at one point makes them completely un... Unfindable, unsearchable.
1: Uh, <laughs> All I found was like marching bands, patriotic albums, and then the song by Climax Blues Band.
2: Yeah, this one uh, evaded me for a really long time. So it came out in 82. It's another Canadian pressing. And there were bands of that era that had some success, like Harlequin and 707. Uh, this kind of follows in their footsteps. It's got it's keyboard heavy. And again, talk about thinking that you know the story i thought that one of these guys went on to become a member of a band called touch and then in the research for this i realized that that is completely false they are not a member of the band called touch i like both bands touch probably a little bit more than this but i really like this tune a lot
1: it does call into question how much of what you say in this podcast can actually be trusted trusted no, very little. I, I, when we say
2: <laughs> questions, comments, and corrections, there's a reason for that, folks. We don't know what we're talking about. Well, I, I can only speak for myself. I know for a fact that I have made three or four mistakes in the six episodes that we've done thus far. So I'm just appreciative that people have you know, shown me a little bit of uh, grace and not called me out on it just yet. Feel free to, though. By all means, have at it.
1: Here is the song I Love You by USA. A. Love the intro on this song. That portamento synth lead is a little reminiscent of, oh, I guess like Manfred Mann's Blinded by the Light version of the Bruce Springsteen song, got that, that, that nice synth. And then when the verse starts, it was very reminiscent to me of Styx.
2: Yeah, I could definitely hear the Styx reference. I thought a little bit of Asia as well. Um, I know that that's more of a, on the Prague side of things. But as a songwriter, could you ever write a song called I Love You? would your would your would your cringe factor allow you
1: to to name the song that i don't think a title of mine even had the word love in it until i devoted an album to my wife in 2016 i avoided okay. the word so strongly so no i don't believe i could <laughs> Yeah, I
2: think that would be a rough—I don't think I ever have either. I think that it's—but the chorus is great. I mean, the the soaring melody is really, really good, and it makes perfect sense that those are the words that he's using in that space, but it's definitely—I would imagine at some point the guys in the band were like, really, dude? I love you?
1: (laughs) Come on. Sammy Sammy Hagar made a living off of it.
2: Yeah, he did. There's no doubt. Again, just from, from my cringe factor, it wouldn't have allowed me to do it. I yeah. don't think that the, it hurts this song very much. And later, I think in a couple of songs, we're going to talk about another Love You song. So yeah, um, yeah, I, could, I can hear the sticks in there. I like this the synth part, the keyboard part. I think it really helps it out. But I could have actually heard this on the radio, I think. I feel like, like the melody is strong enough, kind of coming out of that FM, WLUP, WMET from Chicago from the early 80s. I think it would have fit right in.
1: The singer has a great voice. There's no denying it. Nice, high, tight voice and good backup vocals. The only downside to this song is I thought it could have used either a B section or a bit of a cool instrumental break. Um, Instead, they, they go right back to a verse and they do a full verse and full chorus again. A little bit of variety there with a different song section would have been helpful, but it's a good tune.
2: Maybe that's why they did the key change. That's this song, right? Nope, that's the right. last
1: song. Well, no, this this does start an A in the verses, and it goes to E in the chorus, which I think yeah. is really effective. Yeah. So we go from a song called I Love You to a song called He Loves You. And a bit of a change, though. We're going to go not only to a metal, but to a Christian metal band called Baron Cross. Yeah, this is
2: Baron Cross from 86. Their LP called Rock for the King. And the song is called He Loves You. So it brings to point the question: You know, Christian metal at the time there was Striper and Bloodgood, kind of in these guys. And does the imagery and the lyrics that are represented in, in the Christian bands does it detract from the rock and rolliness? Does it detract from the metalness of it? Does it detract from the universal appeal of it? And that's a question, kind of, I'll pose
1: to you, Paul. What do you think? Well, as someone who's not a metal guy and who celebrated uh, Passover last night, this is not in my wheelhouse, but I like some of the aspects of this tune. I think they had something going here, and clearly they put out, I think, five full-length albums. They clearly had a following. Yeah. So it resonated with enough people to garner them a, a living for a while. Yeah, so I think they took some
2: references. So I think they borrowed a little bit, like we've talked about in the past. They borrowed the opening riff from Anvil. The pre-chorus is kind of moody, and the vocal and the instrumental part are a little bit Maiden-esque. Again, these guys were from uh, L.A. Uh, They formed in 83. Uh, they They appeared on the Morton Downey Jr. show, along with Ace Fraley and members of Anthrax, which is a cool YouTube video if you care to check that out. Um, This is just kind of a a better-than-average metal song from that period that just happens to also be from a Christian rock band.
1: Yes, here we are with He Loves You by Baron Rock. You by Baron Cross. It's a pretty great chorus, right? You know, actually, the chorus is one of the least effective parts of the tune for me.
2: I have a hard time writing songs that have just the repeated chorus line, right? He loves you. So I get that that part's a little bit, maybe not in the vein of what we're we're, we're, what we're talking about. However, the melody of it, I think, does keep it fresh. And that pre-chorus part, I think, is really great when he
1: drops everything down a little bit. Yeah, I th- the verse I like a lot. The opening riff you said is, is sort of like an anthrax riff, is that correct? Uh, Anvil, the band Anvil. Anvil, excuse me. I like it a lot, though, and I like what they do on top of it during the verses. The pre-chorus is cool. The chorus, I like the, the he loves you part. To me, they could have almost created a, an additional line where maybe they say he loves you twice, then do an additional line that's totally different, and then end again with he loves you. Instead, they just say he love you. He loves you four times, and it doesn't offer much. And that
2: might be the Christian leaning lyric on it. It might just be that that was the the point that they were trying to make, right? right. So they want to hammer that home. Whereas in a traditional song, it may take more of a, a storytelling type role, or even more of a where could this go,
1: as opposed to just hit you in the face with it. Right. No, that's a good observation. I really like the instrumental passage. They mess with the time signatures. They go from 4-4 to 6-8 to 7-8 to sort of a double time feel. I think that's really effective. It sounds good. Uh, Yeah, just the chorus I thought they could do a bit more with. How does this compare with bands like, uh, you mentioned a few others, Striper was one. These guys about the same, a little better, a little worse? Uh, I think that of the three that I mentioned, probably Striper were definitely
2: the most popular and probably the best players and songwriters. I think these guys are probably as good as Bloodgood. I think that if you like bands like Dio and Maiden and that type of stuff, I think that this wouldn't be that big of a stretch to enjoy.
1: Yeah, I had some friends in high school who liked Striper, and you know I wasn't a metal guy, so I never investigated, but I like that there was some kind of uh, metal alternative for those who maybe weren't so inclined to listen to a Black Sabbath or a Maiden who wanted something with a little bit more positive message. Yeah, for sure. Okay, for our last song today, we're going to go with a band called Rich Kids, another one that was difficult to research because there are several rich kids out there. Yeah, but this is Rich Kids with a Z, Paul. Right, but isn't there a London band from the 70s with Midjure? called Rich Kids with the same spelling? I did not know that. Well, you know, all I all I did was read it on the internet, so who knows if it's correct. But I had difficulty finding about this band, except that maybe they're from Michigan. It's on a Michigan compilation record, so I'm assuming that would be right. So this is the
2: WVIC 95 FM Rock to Riches uh, compilation record. So it came out in 83. Uh, this is kind of a hard rock song, kind of leaning into heavy metal. Uh, The guitar riff in the answer to the chorus is kind of straight new wave as well. But this is off of one of the Miller High Life Rock to Rich's Talent Search records. So they did a ton of these, and I was reading a little bit about this. So these are some of the bands that this Talent Search launched. John Butcher Axis was signed to Polydor. John Bon Jovi, listed and spelled here as Bon-Giovi, signed to (laughs) Polygram. So that had to be before the first record even came out. Yeah. Twisted Sister was on one of these compilations, and they got signed by Atlantic. And the winner of the 1981 campaign was the band called The Stompers that got signed to Polygram as well. So just to kind of put it in perspective, this says, From Boston to Los Angeles, more than 40,000 bands have entered the Miller High Life Rock to Riches Contest. Wow. With a grand prize of $25,000 in Rickenbacker equipment and mostly a national... Recording contract with a major label. So think about that 40,000 entries. And this was back in the early 80s. Imagine what that would look like today with everybody being able to record on their computer, with the barrier to entry being so low. If you ever wonder why or how it is almost impossible to keep up with all the new music that's out there, there's your reason. 40 years ago, there were 40,000 bands that entered.
1: Yeah, that's actually a great segue to something I want to talk about next week regarding a recent article by a Substack author named Ted Joya, who you might know. He talks about the overwhelming number of songs that are released today. So let's touch base on that next week. Sounds great. This is called You Do by Rich Kids. rich kids i love the bass in this tune you picked that out huh (laughs) you make it sound like it's a very amateurish thing to say but yeah i i picked out the bass dog on it no
2: it's one of those things like if you don't have anything nice to say don't say anything at all like the chorus the verse not so much hey the bass on that song is great she's got a great personality
1: (laughs) No, this is a pretty good song. I think the bass was great. I love uh, the section that says, uh, When the sun comes up in the morning, I'll be gone. Goes from B-flat to G-minor to A-flat, which I think is really lovely. And then it switches to the key of B for the third part of the tune, which is out of nowhere. So I got to give him credit for doing something pretty interesting. I like all three sections of this tune. It's begging for a hook. I think that sun comes up section is kind of the hook.
2: I know that it's it seems like it should be leading into something more. There should be more of a payoff there. And when he rolls into that thirty eight special yes. kind of uh, of a uh, phrasing and even the chord structure, and he's kind of like singing it a little bit more in a southern rock vein, uh, I think that that's you know that's kind of the hook. See, I got it in before you did that time. Nicely Paul.
1: done. I, yeah, I was
2: threw thinking. it out first. Now I get to step on your your
1: reference. 38 special all the way for that third section that starts in the key of B. But it's like a song with three great sections, but the sum of it isn't quite in, quite adding up. Um, well, I think the bass part really holds it all together, Paul. <laughs> <laughs> all right, that's the last time I point out a bass part. No, hey, find fi- always find the good. I like that. I also like the three-note phrase the instrumental phrase that they incorporate several times in the tune with a guitar playing harmonics and the bass doing yeah. some kind of weird, wacky dissonant notes uh, to yep. the guitar. I really like that a lot. That's something I would never come up with.
2: Yeah, and like I said, that that little riff in the chorus uh, is really kind of a new wave riff. It almost sounds like a Devo song at the beginning of the of the bur- the verses. The phrasing and the staccato rhythm to the song almost have like a new
1: wave feel to it as well. Nice. And with that, Episode 7 is in the can. Next week, we'll feature songs by... The Playmates,
2: Racer X, Not That Racer X, Spagna, Single
1: Bullet Theory, and Streak. For all you listeners out there, we'd love to hear from you. For comments and questions and corrections... Please visit us on Facebook at 1000GreatestMisses or on Twitter at 1000 underscore misses or email us at 1000GreatestMisses at gmail.com. Like us, share us. We appreciate your support. Until next time, ladies and gents, that's the end of the show.
0: I met a girl with a record collection showered her with love and affection She put me on sounds i have never heard